0: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasures stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for the life. Well, here we go again. Yeah, welcome back to Set for Life, and the reason I say here we go again is because we're going to see another incident between David and Saul. Here we go again. One thing I want to say before we get into this: I have been dropping some weight. I've lost probably 15 pounds, but I want to talk to you real quick about the difference in long suffering and patience because I've been really learning about the difference between the two since I started this program. I've been to several parties where there was a lot of food and cake and things that were people were eating, and I couldn't eat with them. I had to skip. I couldn't join in, and there's a it was a lot of temptation to do that, but I couldn't do it. I had to maintain a discipline. But there's patience and there's long-suffering. Patience is when somebody eats one meal in front of me, and I look at it, and I, I got to have this patience. I got to say, Ray, you'll get your own meal soon enough. It's not time yet because I have to eat at scheduled times. But that's patience. Long-suffering is is dealing with it over and over and over and over again over weeks and months trying to get this weight off that's the difference in patience and long suffering patience is like a t- an incident per incident long suffering is is tolerating it for a long period of time with many incidents many circumstances many times and we're going to see a little bit of that played out in our story today so let's jump right straight into it shall we first samuel 26 David spares Saul a second time. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hekila? Now, my Hebrew's terrible, sorry. Is, is David not hiding in the hill of Hakila opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now good grief my first thought is didn't didn't we just resolve this two chapters ago Saul told David he said you've been good to me when I did wrong to you and surely you shall become king but all of a sudden here we go again but we have to recognize though in our story who stirred this all up again did Saul come to this decision to pursue David all on his own no the Ziphites cranked it all up again by coming to tell Saul that they knew where David was. We know where he's at, and they riled him up. And so what happened was Saul had allowed bad company to stir him up again. You know how it is when there's some people that act a certain way until they get around other people, and, or unless there's more people and they have an audience, they act different. You know, Saul let bad counsel get to his ear. He listened to them instead of conducting himself according to the lesson he learned in chapter 24. He learned in chapter 24 not to mess with David, and he apologized, and I'm sorry, and he should have learned off of that. These guys came and stirred him up again. Let's read now First Samuel 26 and 3. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakula, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness. And he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, And to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay, sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Here we have yet another situation already of somebody trying to influence someone else to do something wrong. Saul let the Ziphites stir him up to do something wrong, and now Abishai is trying to do that with David. It's so easy to look at the Ziphites and go, oh, you bad Ziphites, you're probably just evil. But Abishai here, he's not necessarily a bad guy. So, I mean, it's easy to shake our finger at the Ziphites, but what about Abishai? He's he's hanging with David. He's on the right side here. Perhaps Abishai was just angry for all the trouble that Saul had put on him and his family and the entire nation for that matter. And so through that anger, he tried to push David to do something that David knew he should not do, something that David had already demonstrated that he would not do. He would not touch the Lord's anointing. Now, I know you've probably had a friend that's tried to push you into doing something that they thought was right, but for you, it was not. They thought it was the right thing to do. But if God instructed you not to do it, then you had to tell them, no. That's a word people don't want to hear these days. Everybody's so wound up, so tight, sensitive about, don't tell me no, you know, but sometimes you have to do it. David had to tell Abishai no, because it was not the right thing to do. 1 Samuel 26 and 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. And so this was a multi-layered defense system that surrounded the king with the king in the middle. So David and his friends, they should have had no normal opportunity to break in and get close enough to the king. Not in normal circumstances at all. The Lord, though, was working behind the scenes and he rendered these men absolutely helpless because they were asleep. Verse 12 says they were all out. They, even the guards, they were all asleep. The guys who were even supposed to be awake were not. The Lord, what he had done, he had taken down man's best defenses, best strategies, best efforts, and brought every bit of it down to nothing. Friend, I want you to understand that when the Lord tells you to do something and there's a fear factor in front of you, as long as the Lord has charged you to do it, he's going to facilitate the way for you to do it. Trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your path. But even if his path says, go here where it doesn't look too comfortable or it looks dangerous, Don't worry, he will take care of that. How easily it is that God can take the strongest and weaken them down to nothing. He can fool the wisest, and he can also disable the most watchful and baffle them out and and put them to nothing. And David's faith led him into into Saul's camp without any fear at all. And he took Saul's spear and Saul's jug, which was right next to him. I mean, you think Saul, all he had to do was open his eyes, and he could have seen David's hand right there taking it. Imagine, though, the guys in David's camp, they're thinking, man, we're really doing this? We are actually sneaking in. Dude, Saul's stuff is right there, and we're going to go take it. I can't but who's going to believe this. <laughs> Pretty cool. Anyway, next next verse, First Samuel 26 and 13. Now David went over to the... Okay, I don't have to whisper. 1 Samuel 26 and 13. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off and a great distance between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. (laughs) Oh, boy, look at this. He showed him. I came in and took this. You know, Abner was taunted, so he felt like, who are you to call out to the king like that? And David says, hey, look what I got. Where's your tough guy tone now? So David taunted Abner for literally, you could say, laying down on the job And somewhat insulted his competence. He really did. This is a man. Guys, listen to this. David is a man, a godly man. And he asked Abner, are you not a man? Like, isn't this what you're supposed to be doing? David just told Abner, man up and do your job. Man up, do your job, do what you're supposed to do. Because somebody just ran in the camp and you didn't even know it. Man up and protect the king. You ought to die for this. Do your job. Very. Oh, I love David. He's great. So before Abner had a chance to fire back any more tough guy words like, who dares call out to the king like this? David did the same thing that he did with Saul back two chapters ago when he cut off the robe. He, he, cut, he showed them the jug and the spear that was by his head. Yet another testament of, I could have killed you, but I didn't. David is not just being patient. David is being long-suffering with Saul. Uh, What's the difference again? Uh, I got another example. My wife, Anna, says that the difference in patience and long-suffering, she says that patience is waiting in line to get a donut at the store. That's patience. But long-suffering is when you have to make the donut yourself. (laughs) When you have to get out the mix and the eggs and the flour and the sugar and whatever flavoring, and if you make your own icing and the sprinkles and you have to mix it all up and put it in the oven and bake it or fry it however you do it, and then you got to let it cool, that's more of a (laughs) long-suffering. It it does take suffering to get a donut, especially when you've been on a diet like me. But anyway, that's what patience and long-suffering thing is. Saul is really just one series after another messing with David, and that's more of a long-suffering instance. Now, to give you a more biblical understanding of the difference between patience and long-suffering is that patience is more of how you conduct yourself in one single situation. Like right now, David is dealing with one single situation with the jug and the spear, But there's been multiple, multiple incidences we've been through that we've seen in the book that means David is going through long-suffering, putting up with a lot, time after time after time again. Long-suffering is when you endure with other people who continually try your patience day after day, month after month, and through many circumstances over a long period of time. That's why it's called long-suffering, 1 Samuel 26 and 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men... May they be cursed before the Lord for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord saying, go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the King of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Seeking a flea, you know, what can a flea do to you? All I can do is bite you and probably no big deal. I mean, he's, He's saying you're going after a flea like you hunt partridges. Uh, uh, It's like saying overkill. You're really overdoing it just for one guy who's not even trying to hurt you. Saul woke up and he immediately recognized David's voice. Hearing David's voice, his plea, what are you doing? Why are we at this again? Here we go again. Leave me alone. I, you know, I personally have lost track unless I was to keep a list in a notepad. I've lost track of how many times David has asked that question. What have I done? Why are you after me? And so David came up with a number of alternatives that they could resolve this conflict instead of Saul wasting so much time and effort and manpower trying to come out and find him. And so he offered the first alternative in verse 19, which was if God had stirred Saul up against David, if David did something wrong that David was unaware about and God sent Saul to get him then david needed to repent of whatever it was and then an offering would have been made to cover that so he says let's make an offer i'll make an offering for it I- i'll re- if i did something wrong tell me i'll repent of it but the second alternative here was if other men were responsible then they should be cursed by god because they were interfering with david's ability to worship god from his own home because david had said they have driven me out from sharing an inheritance of the Lord. In other words, they have driven me away from my home. And the reason David made that point like that, oh, why don't you just go worship God somewhere else, was because the men that did it, they said, go serve other gods. Get out of Jerusalem. Go find another God to serve. This is the way David's taking this, okay? So he offered Saul two options. Number one, if God sent you, I'll repent of it, and we'll put a sacrifice over and get done with this today. But if others cause you to do this, then they should be cursed because they are interfering with my proper worship of the Lord God of Israel. 1 Samuel 26 and 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. Okay, this is not the first time that Saul has confessed an error that on his part. He pretty much said the same thing he said in chapter 14, except he added a quote that he didn't say last time. This time he said he acted like a fool. He played the fool this time. I want us to consider again here. I want us to consider why Saul got wound up to run after David again in the first place because he did not come to this decision on his own. He didn't invent this on it. he somebody else, some external force pushed on him. It was the Ziphites that helped to influence Saul to get into slipping up again and to fall into trouble. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15:33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Some versions of the Bible will say bad company corrupts good conduct, good behavior. Friends, this means that you do not, hear me, this is a tough one for a lot of us to swallow. You do not keep company with ungodly people because their bad actions will drag you in with them. The Ziphites had this negative attitude and they dragged Saul in. And now Saul's in trouble too. They enticed Saul to act against David by snitching. We know where he's at. He's over in our woods. Come on, Saul. That's not good. I want you to see Proverbs 1 and 10. It says, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I'm going to read that again. If sinners entice you, do not consent. I want you to consider the Pharisees real quick. They dragged that woman in front of Jesus. She was caught in adultery, so they snitched on her. And, you know, they didn't bring her to Jesus, though, because they really cared about her. They had this other agenda. They had a bitter, merciless motive behind it because you noticed they didn't bring the man. You didn't see him in Scripture, did you? They're picking and choosing how they want to run this. So they didn't care about her at all. They had an agenda here. They wanted to trap Jesus in the law. They wanted to trap him so they could find a way to legally kill him. And so they used her to show how wonderful, righteous they were. Look at this woman, Jesus. She committed adultery. Now, don't we look so good? We are just the best things in town. They had an agenda. They wanted something out of this. They wanted to look good to increase their prestige, to increase their self-feeling of godliness. But Jesus would not allow the Pharisees to entice him. He would not let them drag him into whatever it is they were trying to do. Jesus would not be manipulated. Jesus would not look at the woman and go, oh yeah, she committed adultery. That is pretty bad. Man, you Pharisees, I didn't see that. You are pretty good guys. I'm sorry I take back everything I said because you brought this woman in here. No, Jesus didn't go, go near that. He would not be enticed. He would not be manipulated into doing evil. So now think about the Ziphites. When they came to Saul and they snitched on David's location, they didn't really care about David. They had some other motive in it for themselves. Saul at the time also, he was probably at home minding his own business. For all we know, he was trying to get right with God again until the Ziphites came and they stirred everything back up again. And so here comes this bad company. But the reason they did it is not because of David. They had their own merciless, selfish motive behind it. They wanted something out of this. Who would not want to cozy up to the king and do a favor for him And so he would turn around and go, you know what? You're a bunch of good guys. I think I'm going to give you a reward or something. And then they're going to line their pockets. They had a motive behind this. They used David. The Ziphites used him, threw him under the bus, just like the Pharisees did with that poor woman, just to try to manipulate Saul. But Saul was enticed and he was manipulated by them. And as a result, who got in trouble? Did the Ziphites get in trouble or did Saul get in trouble? Who was coughing up the confession? Who was really getting barked at here? Who was David calling out to? It wasn't the Ziphites. It was Saul. He was the one that got into trouble again. And you notice that this second confrontation between Saul and David was worse than the first one, because this time it included a bunch of David's men and a bunch of Saul's men. So the, it's getting bigger. The trouble is de- was deepening. Friends, we are to shun. We are to put away and do not listen to the advice of ungodly, corrupt people. Look at the trouble that it got Saul into. People that are going to try to corrupt your behavior, they're going to tell you ungodly things. If they you let them entice you, they'll draw you into trouble. And who's really going to get in trouble? Them or you. You will be the one in trouble. Proverbs 1 and 15 says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Now, if some of you are thinking, Well, gosh, this looks like if my friends are ungodly, I'm supposed to just get away from them. Yes, that's what it says. Well, I can't believe the Bible would tell me to turn on my friends and leave. If your friends are ungodly, if they're causing trouble, you better get away from them, no doubt. Why is that? That's not really a hard equation. Get away from them. It does not say, though. Here's here's where I think the confusion comes in. The passage says get away from them. It does not say stop loving them. That's what it does not say. Get away from them. Don't hang out with them. Don't walk in the way with them. That means when they go do stuff, hey, come on, hang out with us. Go do what we're doing. Don't do it. Come on, let's go do drugs and let's have a good party and all Don't go for that. But they're my friends. Stay away from them. The Bible says, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. They're in a hurry to go out and do bad things. Stay away. If you're trying to follow Jesus, but all of your friends won't, then walk by yourself.